With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Can you hear me? Can you hear me, my yes, friend? can you hear me? Yes, I've got you. I've got you. Give me a couple seconds here. I'm going to bring our co-host uh, on the call here, Donald Mazzella. Give me a couple seconds here, and we will bring in Mr. Mazzella here to our... Uh, to our fine program, and uh, welcome to iHeartRadio and AMFM247.com. Tune in iTunes and Radio Loyalty. Thanks for joining us here on our big program. We are going to get Don Mazzella, uh, the main man over at SB Digest. We're going to get him involved in the conversation here. And I believe there's Don. Don, can you hear me, my man? Yes. Okay, well, we've got a... Great guest with us today. Pamela, go ahead and uh, give us a brief introduction about yourself, and uh, let's talk a little bit about yourself, and then me and Don have got some questions for you. Jump in there, my friend. Yes, I'm Pamela Folland, uh, author of the Megan World Series. I went to uh, college at the University of Texas at Dallas and have lived my entire life in the North Dallas, Texas area. I loved pets and grew up in a house full of pets, and so that and my hobby for loving to write short stories has just escalated across the years to where I now have my own house and a house full of pets that have inspired me to write my book series about my own experience, one raising an abandoned litter of day-old kittens, and also from my experience experience working in pet hotels as a dog trainer and doing pet sitting. Now, tell us about, uh, but, but I know Don's got some questions for you on this because this is a very interesting topic today. Tell me about a pet hotel. What the hell is a pet hotel? <laughs> a pet hotel is a boarding facility that keeps your pet while you're away oh, on vacation. okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, Don, th- th- this is a different topic, as always. We try to do different things here on Thursdays, and uh, oh. talking pets. Well, today. I, I, this is great. This is great <laughs> for me. Yeah. Um, you, you know, it, it takes me away. I'm sorry. First off, could you repeat the title of your book? The book series is the Megan's World series. Uh, there's currently three books available: Megan's Munchkins. Megan's Pet Sitting Adventure, and Megan the Pet Whisperer. Well, okay, and what are your books, let's get that, what are your books about? Uh, uh, obviously Megan, but but what, are, what do you talk about in your books? The books are written for children ages 8 to 13 years old, and it follows Megan Thompson, who is 13-year-old heroine of the series, and she has a love of pets and a desire for a pet of her own. And there's a lot of me in the Megan character. I put myself kind of in the Megan body to write the series. So in the first book, Megan's Munchkin, she finds an abandoned litter of veiled kittens 
and raises them in secret from her parents because she's been told by her parents you're not responsible enough to have a pet of your own. And so across the five weeks of the book, she proves to her parents that she can pull her grades up in school, she can keep up with household chores, and she can raise these completely helpless one-day-old kittens into healthy, thriving little babies. Well, that, that sounds exciting. And, you know, I, I, I wish I had a dollar for every parent that said to a child, you're not responsible enough uh, for for a pet and is worried that they, they will end up being responsible for the pet. Um, what a wonderful idea, and, and uh, I hope people uh, listen to that. Uh, having uh, said said that, um, uh, w- raising a pet, what does it give a child raising a pet? What are some of the benefits of it for the child? Well, that's the thing that I talk to the local parents at my events and book signings that I do is that if the parent is willing to accept that at the end of the day, the responsibility and the well-being of the pet is going to ultimately fall to them. doesn't matter if the child is 5 years old or 15 years old. The parent is going to have to have some involvement in the pet's well-being and upkeep. But it can teach a child numerous wonderful maturing qualities like responsibility, compassion, loyalty, trust, all sorts of things that the child can then use to... Uh, expand other aspects of their life besides just there's nothing to me there's nothing more wonderful than the unconditional love that a a pet would give a child or an adult in their life well I I, I couldn't agree more unfortunately growing up I never had the opportunity but I've seen this in uh, in other people and uh, in other families how important a pet is um, well, uh, let's stay on this topic for a while before we go to the other fascinating topic that you bring, which is a pet hotel, uh, which I think is a great—it's a great way of looking at it because it's. But um, uh, I, I would like to ask you, um, what do you do for the, the child that um, has a fancy, passing fancy for the, the for the dog or the cat or whatever? And then it ends up being the orphan in the family. How do you how do you uh, work with people to help them understand and to develop something to do with them, with the pet? You're you're saying for a child that wants a dog or cat but then doesn't want to take care of it, or was that yeah, your question? You know, yes. Sometimes uh, a child ends up saying, "I want a dog. I want a dog," but after months. Uh, they suddenly realize that it's, they they discover other pursuits and, and begin to neglect the past. How do you get them to to uh, go back and accept their responsibilities if if indeed you can get them to do it? Yeah, and that's that's the whole one of the driving forces for my book series is to teach the young readers that the pets are not a summer hobby or a long weekend activity that they can then forget about when their friends come back in town or when they develop other interests, but it is a lifetime commitment of 10 plus years based upon the lifespan of the pet, but 
it ultimately falls back to the parents. Uh, I think in most cases, like we're talking about, a child that's lost interest in it is uh, possibly backing off on the actual responsibility and caring for it as much as doing activities like playing a game of fetch with a dog or playing with a feather toy with the cat, doing bonding-type activities between the child and the pet to encourage that love between them to grow as opposed to the actual physical duties of picking up after it or feeding it or walking it uh, would be the best approach to bring that love of the pet back to the child. Well, in my, uh, my neighborhood, I noticed that it's the young people who do most of the walking of the dogs around here. And um, uh, I often see them uh, staring into their uh, phones rather than uh, watching where the dog uh, does its business. Uh, and sometimes it's on my, my lawn, which makes me very angry. And, and, when you bring, and when you bring them up short about it, as I did uh, yesterday, they look at you as if you were uh, you were tell, telling them to go uh, kill themselves. You know, to, <laughs> it's not very pleasant to clean up in your own lawn. Um, right. But, um, you know, let's, well, let's go on to a, a, a happier subject because uh, the Hallmark Channel, which is one of the fastest growing channels going, it has a formula for its movies. And the formula always has... Boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy finds girl. But always somewhere in that is a pet, uh, usually a dog. Um, are you familiar with the, with those movies? And uh, what do you say about that? Because I, I, I think your Megan book would fit right in there. I think so, too. And I think that they do a very, very good job of using that formula, I know I watched about a dozen of their Christmas movies just a couple months ago uh, when they were playing them back-to-back-to-back, and they do an amazing job of using that formula over and over and over again, and yet they're producing a new movie, and it's something along the same vein, but very, very similar and very interesting, so... I love doing it to study how they do it because I think you can, I can relate lots of the movie plots and the lots of the movie ideas to my writing of doing the same thing but telling it in a new enough way to keep a reader's interest. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I happen to think golden retrievers who are supposed to be the most loyal dogs of, of dogs and, uh, um, uh, you know, it's just, just something. And I don't know if you're aware of it, just, just last night, uh, Turner Classic Movie played Greyfriars, Greyfriars uh, Bobby, the story of the dog that uh, in Scotland, in Edinburgh, who, who uh, when his master died, came back every night to the, uh, his master's grave until the dog itself died. And by special dispensation of Victor- Queen Victoria, they buried the dog beside the master. I mean, uh, it, right. It, <laughs> to use it all, it's a three-handkerchief sob job, if you ever see one. Oh, yeah. Um, but, um, you know, uh, 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 pets have a great effect, not only in ch- on children, but also on older people, etc. Um, uh, I, I guess, uh, if what are the two or three things you counsel a parent to do when they think about uh, 
getting a pet for their child? I encourage them to think about not just what the child is asking for, to really, really consider and do their research as to, say, the child is asking for a golden retriever, but the family lives in a small apartment with no backyard and doesn't really like to go out and take walks or go to the park or do anything else to really look at their lifestyle and then the pet's activity level and care needs and what the pet lifestyle would be for that particular dog or cat breed before actually jumping in and getting it. Because if you're not a walker or a runner, you're not going to be happy having to walk or run a big dog every single day, sometimes two or three times a day in all climates aspects of the weather and if you're an active person you don't want to get a little pocket chihuahua or yorkie that's Mm. gonna tire out after quarter mile that's that's really good advice keep going so i really encourage the parent to consider what the child is asking for but then also really look at what they can, what would fit in better to their lifestyle as far as their living situation, maybe the apartment complex that they have has a weight limit for dogs or a restriction on the uh, type of dog that they could have and what what other family members in the household, how much care they're willing to put in and how much care the parents themselves are willing to put in. If you're a family that wants to be able to pick up and leave the house every every long weekend without having to worry about what do we do with the dog or can we take the dog with us, then maybe a cat would be a better option for them because cats need love and need attention, but it's a whole lot easier to have a neighbor come in and put fresh food and water down for a cat than it is for a neighbor to come in and walk in take care of a dog well you know you bring up an interesting subject cat my uh in my uh, my father ended up uh, late later in life having a cat and and the two of them were inseparable um and uh, it, uh we we talk about children but i happen to think pets are sometimes more uh beneficial to older people what do you think about that Oh, absolutely. I have seen firsthand uh, with my grandma and her dog, a Sheltie, how beneficial that having a dog that is always there with her and always uh, something to do, always there for her and something to keep her active and keep her walking and throwing the tennis ball and feeding. I think they're wonderful, wonderful companions. There's all sorts of scientific studies, as a matter of fact, that says the pets reduce blood pressure and are very, very good. That's why they have so many therapy dogs in the hospitals and nursing homes. I agree. Well, let's turn before anything else. to How do you uh, sit down and write uh, books and articles? Do you, do you, um, do you uh, gain your inspiration from your pets? 
Do you have a regular routine? How do you go about, you've created three books. Are you think, thinking of doing a fourth in the Megan series? Yes, Megan's Birthday is the fourth book in that series, and it's coming out July 17th. Well, well, uh, why did you pick that date? I kind of try and space the books out about uh, four, three to four months apart, and it was uh, middle of the month uh, Tuesday, which is the day you're supposed to release books on. So um, picked it in between kind of... Uh, after the 4th of July and before Labor Day. Hmm. Well, you, I just learned something new. You're supposed to release your book on Tuesday. I didn't know that, but that's... <laughs> that. Go yeah. ahead. Well, you see, uh, Jiggy, on this program, you'll learn something. <laughs> you'll learn all sorts of fact. things, don't you? Don't you? <laughs> but, um, but do you sit down and work in the morning? Do you sit down... Um, in the evening, how, how, uh, I always like to ask uh, writers how they go about uh, creating uh, the, the words on p paper, which to me is uh, so important to life. Right. Well, like when I was first creating the Megan's World series back at book one of Megan's Munchkins, this was about two and a half, almost three years ago that I started working on this story. I had the idea from my personal experience of bobble raising uh, an abandoned litter of kittens, four one-day-old kittens that I found on a walk in my neighborhood, and I bobble raised, and I still have all four of them. They turned five years old last month, but the experience of actually being the parental figure to these kittens, I mean, they follow me around the house like I'm the Pied Piper. I have a trail of them behind me at all times. I thought it was such a extraordinary experience for me. It inspired me to write, to teach children about pets, and this is the ultimate uh, care for a pet because these little kittens are as helpless as a newborn baby would be, and you're having to feed them every four hours around the clock. So I thought it was a really good idea to launch a story book series from. So I started writing. I knew I wanted to have the character be a young teenage girl and find the kittens and raise them in secret from her parents and prove to her parents that she was responsible enough to have a pet. But I probably wrote the first mm, 10,000 pages or so, or 10,000 words. Uh, 20 pages or so without actually having a name for the character. I knew the storyline. I knew where I was headed, but I didn't have a name for my Megan character until one day I was typing on it, and all of a sudden Megan just kind of started appearing on the page, and that's the name that has stuck. Um, so that was that was a fun journey to go on to actually create the series, create all the characters in... Megan's World, and create the storyline. So that book definitely took me the longest to write. But now that I have the series kind of established and I'm working on future books every day for the series, I do write in the morning. I don't know. I guess I tire out or something, but the morning time I can do a couple thousand words easy within a few hours of sitting down 
at the computer. So I have myself on a schedule, and I just start writing every morning, do at least a 1,000 words a day. That's my goal for myself. And now that the characters and everything are kind of created, I have, I don't know, I think 15 books outlined for the series. Wow. Well, that's ambition. Uh, uh, Jiggy, am I... Um uh, hogging the time? Do you no, 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 no. I've I've enjoyed the conversation here. Uh, but but before before we let you go, my friend, um, how do we find you online? Uh, where 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 do we pick up your books? All this. Okay. Yes, definitely. I'm on Facebook and Twitter, as well as you can check out my website on PamelaFolland.com. And my books are on my website, but the website will take you to Amazon. The books are available in paperback and e-reader versions uh, on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Fantastic. Well, we're going to take a a brief break. And, uh, Don, I will be back with you here in just a few seconds. Pamela, it's been an honor and a privilege to talk to you today. Thanks for coming on our program. Thank you for having me. Definitely. We'll be back here in a few moments with uh, more from Don Mazzella and a break right now. At dollarseed.com, all of our seeds are only a dollar a pack. And we have online resources that teach you all about the rewarding hobby of growing your own plants, flowers, herbs, and vegetables. Imagine the joy you'll feel when your children actually help you harvest your first garden crop. Or the pride of knowing you'll never need a florist again. Visit dollarseed.com and grow a little magic of your own for just a dollar. dollarseed.com. What could be healthier? Do you have an idea? Idea Supporters is a 100% confidential invention firm that assists inventors in patent and protection, 3D design, and customization of your portfolio in order to bring your new idea to market. And there's Josh. How are you, sir? We uh, we, yeah, wrap, we wrapped good. up with our previous guest uh, a little bit quicker than I thought we were going to, but uh, we have got the uh, the great Josh Bernstein joining us today here on our program and uh, coast to coast, border to border on TuneIn, iTunes, and Radio Loyalty. And uh, we are also going to bring in our co-host here, Don Mazella, uh, to chat with Josh as well. And uh, Josh Bernstein, you know him from the Josh Bernstein Show. It's uh, available on Amazon. On and all the other places now. Um, Josh, uh, there there is a lot going on um, in the world around us. I, I want to have you give us details on what your thoughts are on this story about Facebook has data sharing partnerships with at least four Chinese electronic companies, including a manufacturing giant that has a close relationship with the Chinese government. The social media company said on Tuesday they basically gave data access to a Chinese firm that was flagged by U.S. intelligence. Give us your thoughts there, my friend. Well, my thoughts are that uh, it looks as though Mark Zuckerberg um, misled in his testimony to Congress. Uh, The problem is that uh, he was not under oath. Why they allowed him to testify without being under oath is beyond me. But because of that, uh, unfortunately, I don't think much can come of it. And basically, you have to understand that all the people that were grandstanding and saying that they really cared about these breaches were all in his back pocket, every single one of them, both parties. 
So, you know, it, it was really a shame. But in the end, in the end, I think Generation Z, these are the really, really youngsters, uh, I think that they're going to end Facebook at some point or at least put a major dent into it because uh, they're not using Facebook anymore. They're seeing that, uh, you know, all these different breaches, and not just them, but older Americans are as well, and even people around the world. I think that these breaches uh, are going to have a long-lasting effect, and uh, I think that they're using other alternative methods to communicate. Don, what, what, what do you think about this story? Well, I agree with Josh uh, in everything uh, uh, he said. Um, uh, uh, clearly, there's evidence that uh, Facebook is trending downward. Clearly, it's evident that uh, uh, our, our, our good friend uh, is a young guy who's uh, full of himself and uh, doesn't um, fully appreciate some of the things. And more importantly, um, I think we're beginning to see that this young generation is discovering what the, every generation does, that they don't know everything and they're not as smart as they think they are. And, um, uh, you know, they forced uh, um, uh, Alphabet uh, Google to um, uh, renege on a, not to renege, to not renew a, a contract with the Defense Department um, uh, because, quote, it was leading to war rather than what it really does is prevent war. I think we're, these, uh, we're starting to see uh, a little crack in all of this, uh, these do-gooders generation that think that uh, they have the answer to all, all of our problems in diversity and peace. That's my view. We've got Josh Bernstein with us today. He uh, joins us live. You know him from the Josh, Ber Josh Bernstein Show. We also have uh, Donald Mazzella with us today on our broadcast. And uh, Josh, you're you're a representative for uh, the good friends over there at AMAC. They uh, they do a lot with uh, the the healthcare uh, system and and work a lot with the uh, healthcare. Um, what, what what do you make of the healthcare industry right now? Well, I think that um, you know, there's a lot of things you can say about it. Uh, obviously, you know, there's going to need to be a long-term fix. Uh, personally, I think the best long-term fix to healthcare is to go back to the way it was. Go back to the way it was before we had the government involved in the process. Uh, you know, it may not have been perfect, but it was still the best healthcare system in the entire world. No questions asked. So, I think that hopefully we can go back to something like that. Open it up over state lines. Uh, increase health savings accounts, uh, curb medical malpractice, uh, reform uh, reform lawsuits and things like that. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that we can do. Um, I know the folks over there at AMAC are, are working behind the scenes tirelessly each and every day, and uh, folks can go to amac.us, amac.us, or call toll-free 888-262-2006. Again, 888-262-2006. Tell them that uh, you heard about AMAC on the Jiggy Jaguar program, and uh, we'll even give a free membership, absolutely free membership. Just mention the Jiggy Jaguar program, and uh, it's, again, it's AMAC.us. But as far as healthcare, look, I, I think it's a work in progress. I'd like to see them piecemeal it. I don't want to see any big legislation, certainly. And uh, I think a lot of it starts with undoing everything that's been done when the government got involved. Now, Don, th th this is a tacky and, and or, or a huge, huge subject here to tackle. 
Uh, give us your take on this. Well, I was I was going to ask a, a, a question, which uh, the Democrats are trying to say the, uh, the cost of health care for individuals and, for that matter, small business uh, health care protection has gone through the roof. Um, and they're now trying to blame the Republicans. Uh, what What is your take on that? Well, my take is the fact that we saw between 300 and 600% increases in premiums. People were making decisions, gee, do I do my health care or do I pay my mortgage, put food on the table for my family? Uh, and so we're seeing a lot of these um, companies, these big companies, um, leaving states that set up the Medicare exchanges, and, and not just the exchanges for that, but for the, Ob- the Obamacare exchanges, we see them all going under. We see that the competition uh, has gotten to the point where it's almost non-existent, and some places only have one, maybe two providers in the entire state. So obviously something has to change. When the government gets involved and runs something, uh, it's never going to be efficient. It's never going to be productive. And uh, like I said, I think that ultimately we need to have it go back to the state's level. You know, the state of Louisiana or Hawaii or Arizona or New York, they're going to know how to take care of their people better than the federal government. Yeah, if you uh, look at it that way, uh, what New York does and what uh, Louisiana does are, are almost two different countries uh, in terms of health care. Uh, uh, why don't you want an overweening government uh, exercise of at least standardizing the uh, the costs to the individuals or the company. Well, look, I, I think that there's a couple things you can look at. Number one, um, as far as you know, opening it up over state lines. If you were allowed to buy insurance from one state to the other, obviously that would increase competition. When you increase competition, you lower you lower overall costs. So that's one way. To look at things, um, you can have portable health care where it follows you and it goes with you to different, you know, jobs or, or what have you. That's another thing we can do. But the other thing we can do is we can cover pre-existing conditions. I've talked about this for a very long time. Let's be humane. Let's cover people with pre-existing, pre-existing conditions. However, let's get the government out of that process. Let's close down the IPAB, the Independent Panel Advisory Boards, which, by the way, get $186,000 a year, and they don't even need a medical license to be on. And let's close those things down, and let's give the insurance companies huge tax breaks and incentives uh, for covering everybody, because obviously they're going to incur some losses by doing that. But there's better ways to do it, and again, the government is not going to be the solution. Well, I hate to disagree with you. Having dealt with insurance companies for for a, a very long time, having talked to the people, I wouldn't trust them to uh, guide me across the street, let alone... Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I am absolutely disgusted with our insurance companies, uh, our health care insurance companies and our general insurance companies, because I think between the two of them, they screw the uh, uh, average American. And you're, you're saying, well, let's give them more authority. I, I say let's give them less authority. Uh, um, I normally well, if, Okay, if, if they have less authority, 
then who's getting more authority? Is the federal I'm, government I'm, getting more authority? Unfortunately, That's not going to be good. Well, unfortunately, it's the one, it's ironic, it's the one area where I think that uh, government interve intervention is so necessary because um, it, it, uh, the only thing good I think government has done in the last uh, 30 years is HSAs, but, but as a result of it, do you know the, the average uh, 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 <laughs> Deductible now is is close to five thousand dollars. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, it's insane. Crazy. I mean, what do you have? What basically what you have now is insurance insurance against catastrophic uh, illnesses. Um, but if you uh, uh, but if you look at it, and uh, uh, the the nice part is now it's uh, having an HSA is almost a no, is is a no brainer. Because uh, um, you have to pay the first five thousand anyway under an HSA, you might as well get some benefit if it, if it happens. But it, the the world is, is has become a very strange place, and yet you're you're saying, well, let's give it back to the insurance companies, and then they sit there and they make inane rules. They make. Uh, um, just simple thing like, well, if you want to go to a specialist, first you have to go to your general practitioner, get a referral from that practitioner. Mm -hmm. That's one, one um, a, a visit. You go to the specialist. Now the specialist says, yeah, well, but I'm not the right guy. I only, I only do right, right. feet. Uh, so you have to go back to your guy to, to, to find somebody who does left feet. Which is what your problem was. I mean, uh, you know, I sit here sometime uh, uh, and listen. In, uh, 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 listen when I go to my doctor, um, um, and, and I say it gets absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I've been fortunate. I found a doctor in New York. Uh, I'm I'm on Medicare. I have a doctor that uh, takes the time, as much time as necessary. Does not care that he has to do seven minutes. In order to maximize his income, but make sure that what happens. But yet, I hear story after story where where people, uh, doctors are only allowed seven minutes per um, per visit. I mean, it's ridiculous what's going on. Yeah. Well, yeah. Look, I, I agree with you that uh, things need to be changed. But again, I, I would I would venture to say that you know. I certainly wouldn't want an increase in the government's ability to control and regulate our healthcare industry. I mean, we saw what they have done uh, with healthcare in in the past. You know, since 2010, since it was passed in the dead of night like vampires, you had people switching parties. You had the Louisiana Purchase. You had the Cornhusker kickback. I mean, this was not a popular bill, and we know that because. They ended up losing Congress right after that. Many of the people that voted for it lost because it wasn't a popular thing. And I think at this point it's still not popular. I think some of the uh, uptick in some of the polling on it just has to do with the fact that now that it's, uh, I guess you could say, you know, taken apart because of the mandate and all that, that people are just like, okay, well, now what? What's next? What do we do from here? And I think that's where the Republicans, if they were smart, if they were smart, they have an excellent opportunity to craft a new bill moving forward that could be permanent 
and uh, that could provide excellent health care at the lowest cost possible. So um, we'll see what happens if, uh, if they're going to, you know, capitalize on that. Well, Josh, let me make it clear. I did not support Obamacare before, and I do not uh, uh, support it now. But uh, some of the solutions that have been pushed put forward don't make sense in this world. And uh, all, I know, all I know is that uh, in 1964, when I, when, I, um, when I went to my doctor, I paid four to $5 a visit. Today I pay $300 a visit. You know, yeah. somewhere along the line, something went screwy. Okay? Right. Well, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, Republican inaction on an actual foundational bill that, you know, has longstanding uh, gravitas, if you will, and can actually, you know, be a workable plan. If they don't pass something, healthcare is going to get even more and the reason it is is because it's going to go from Obamacare to Sanders Care. And when Medicare for All comes out and a one-payer system completely government-run top to bottom, now you're talking European socialism type of medicine. You're talking really long waiting lines. You're talking people getting, uh, you know, um, life-ending management care as far as pain relief rather than operations because now... You know, you've got people deciding whether or not someone's going to live or die. It will get that bad if they do not act on something quickly because it will turn into Medicare for all and it will be a complete one-payer system. Agreed wholeheartedly. I, uh, we're, we're only, I think we're only talking uh, uh, what, what's the best way of doing it, but I couldn't agree with you more. You know, there are uh, countries like Denmark. I don't know if you've ever been uh, been there and had a uh, an incident, but Denmark. You can go from one extreme Denmark to Britain to the to the Italian um, system. I mean, we all agree that uh, uh, it, it, it's funny. You know, people complain about our system. Yet everybody comes to this country for most of their care. That's right. And if you That's go to true. the Mayo Clinic, you know, there are four Arabic channels inside the Mayo Clinic on the television. Four different uh, channels of Arabic. It tells you something. And there are whole floors devoted to Arab uh, uh, patients. So you, 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 know, you know they they know where to go when they can afford it. To get the best care. Hmm. Interesting. No, I didn't know that about the about the Mayo Clinic. Oh, okay. But uh, trust me, uh, I had a problem about uh, fifteen years ago. Yeah, I guess it's now fifteen years. Now they sent me to the Mayo Clinic. Who, well, by the way, diagnosed what the best uh, uh, people in New York City could not figure out. In one visit, they figured out what was wrong. The, I, I did the procedure, and by golly, I haven't had a problem since. But while I was there, I noticed that there were four Arabic channels. I'm now told there are five uh, that are piped in to the hospital rooms. So, you know, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, thing. But, uh, I, but the interesting part is if you go to Qatar or to the Arab states, um, now they they're building up their own medical facilities to rival the United States and making it 
free for their their uh, uh, citizens. Um, uh, uh, it, it's, it's interesting, but uh, uh, I, I I wish you and I had a solution to the to healthcare problem because it, uh, it, it's the one that affects every one of us one way or the other. Yep. Now, now, Josh, uh, give us a little bit more details yep. about AMAC. Uh, we 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 hear you talk about them every week, but what 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 exactly does AMAC do? Well, AMAC is a, an organization for seniors, uh, fifty years of age and older. Uh, very similar to an AARP. Uh, obviously, the difference is that uh, we're a conservative alternative to AARP. So, when we lobby on behalf of Washington and Congress and things of that nature. Um, it is to provide seniors with more power, more control, and, of course, more freedom in their health care choices and decisions. We have all of the same types of products and services that an AARP would offer, and actually we have some things that are even different and extra. Uh, we've got a, a dedicated line to uh, Social Security and Medicare questions and things like that. Um, and uh, so I think that, um, you know, it, it truly is, uh, you know, I'm always on the Barry Farber show. He likes to call it a David versus Goliath. And it is, but uh, we are, you know, 1.3, 1.4 million members and growing strong each and every day. So uh, a lot of people don't even know that there is an alternative out there. They see AARP, they see the ads, and, you know, they get the brochures and things like that, and they don't even know that there is an alternative, but there is. And, uh, you know, obviously we feel as though, you know, we're the superior organization, and uh, we're always working behind the scenes to make healthcare more affordable and to make it more freer with less government uh, intrusion in people's individual health cares. So check us out again, amac.us, or you can call that toll-free number, 888-262-2006, and uh, tell them that you heard about AMAC on the Jiggy Jaguar program, and we'll get you a free membership. Well, fantastic. Well, uh, well, Josh, I appreciate you making time for us today, and uh, we will sure. talk to you next week, my friend. You got it. Looking forward to it. Definitely. And uh, we're, we're going to take a brief... You too. Now, uh, very good. He, uh, is, he is very articulate. <laughs> I, I wish I was uh, as articulate. <laughs> he is. He is pretty amazing. Now, uh, now, Don, let, let's let's switch gears here. I want to get your thoughts on this uh, this uh, situation that took place fairly recently. Um, Donald Trump uh, said that the Philadelphia Eagles won't attend the White House ceremony amid a national anthem dispute. Uh, well, well, what do you make of all this, my friend? Well, you know, finally, people, someone is striking back. You know, uh, people have been able to protest without consequences. And uh, um, uh, Donald Trump and, indeed, other people are starting to say, well, wait a second. Uh, if You, you know, at our, my expense, you're going to do this to articulate your view. Well, I'm going to turn around and say to you, um, well, you're going to have a consequence. Uh, I, I think for, for the first time, I don't think the Eagles ever expected uh, to, uh, President Trump to do anything but acquiesce to what they wanted rather than what the nation wanted. Uh, you know, uh, it's uh, very interesting. That, uh, there, there's a great column in today's uh, Wall, Wall Street Journal about that, uh, uh, about this very s subject, but... Um, and uh, I, I believe, and in, in my talking to people throughout the nation, the nation over the last week and a half, 
uh, on various subjects, that people are beginning to say, wait a second, um, where is civil, where is respect for uh, traditions? Where is respect for institutions? Um, uh, where, Memorial Day is turned, uh, has been turned upside uh, down. And everything that, that uh, I grew up with, I'm 75, and uh, uh, clearly in talking to younger people, I, I sometimes gasp uh, uh, at how um, so uninformed they are about our nation and what it stood for and how we did things. All we hear is how the founding fathers were slaveholders. Yet the founding fathers um, uh, developed a system no one had ever seen before that survived 200 years. It may not survive longer in the institution, but uh, President Trump said enough is enough. He, he called the, um, the Eagles uh, a bl uh, bluff, and uh, I, you notice there wasn't that much uh, uh, pushback that people said it was uh, uh, you know it, it was wrong. Um, CBS radio had the reporter there, who, and he couldn't find he could only find one person in the crowd from Philadelphia who would say that uh, that they were truly disappointed by what President Trump did uh, when. Uh, um, uh, uh, the the basketball player. Um, uh, oh yeah, um, yeah. I know. I know uh, who you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when he said, "Well, we won't come," uh, Trump said, "Fine, don't come." You know, uh, when I the first time I went inside the White House, I was awed. You know, I mean, uh, the same way I w when I went into the uh, 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 the House and the Senate. Uh, I was awed by it, you know, and and to be invited to sit in to, into the uh, White House is still something that people want and uh, are awed by. If you don't want to come, okay, take your ball and go home, but um, stop using it to protest everything um, uh, that we uh, we older people held dear, which was this country. You know, you know, they everybody talks about the warts of this country, but no, nobody's talking about the uh, uh, the greatness of this country. I, uh, I and a lot of other people, and I think you saw that uh, in in the uh, uh, election returns, which was supposed to have been uh, uh, in, on Tuesday, uh, supposed to be a democratic sweep, and it hasn't turned out to be that. And uh, they were just glad in California that they, they had somebody in some of these uh, congressional districts rather than two Republicans. Yes. So, um, <laughs> you, you know. I'm, well, I mean, what, that's, that brings up an interesting, an interesting deal with, like, this California primary. Um, they had this thing called a jungle primary, which would basically the top two candidates got to go on and and it could be to republicans to democrats a democrat and republican what what, what do you think about that process because i had never heard of a jungle primary until tuesday well um 
uh, well, I will quote a much smarter man than me and say, that is the death knell of the, of the two-party system in America. What you're then, uh, what you're re then gonna see over the next 20 years is the, uh, fragmenting into, uh, parliamentary parties similar to what we have, uh, in Italy and what we have in Germany and what we have in, uh, uh, England. Uh, the, it, it is, um, it is the, one of the single most uh, uh, devastating things that that has happened to the two-party system, uh, because what will, it's going to happen is you're going to see in some states the Democrats are going to prevail, and other states if it's adopted the Republicans, and that's not what this uh, the two-party system was about. About the two-party system will develop because in order to. Uh, uh, bring the country together surprisingly so I go back to uh, uh, someone who's no longer taught in our school called V.O. Key uh, which, which pointed out that the, the two party system enabled people the various uh, factions to gather together under two tents so that tents T-E-N-T-S that uh, so that they could elect people who could represent them we are a representative government, but if you have a, a plurality party system, as in other countries, what you have are factions, and what we need is represent representation. Uh, you could, uh, you have when we were growing up, a Democratic Party made up of uh, New York li of Northeast liberals and the Southern uh, con uh, a bit of uh, bigots. I was going to say segregationists. Yet they, they were managed to develop a rule uh, 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 and rule for over 40 years under uh, uh, Roosevelt and uh, Truman, and some argue under uh, Dwight Eisenhower as well. But but the point is, if you end up with a system where you have the Bernie San Sanders of the world and Pocahontas on one side and and, and other plurality parties. Uh, a woman ran in New Jersey and didn't spend a single dime and got 38% of the vote in the Democratic Party. Wow. She didn't spend a dime. <laughs> Why? <laughs> That's amazing. Well, uh, she ran against uh, Senator Menendez, who uh, uh, got escaped from a, a trial in which uh, he said his friend gave him the free ride and prostitutes because he was a friend rather than he was tr the, the fact that as a senator he tried to intervene on his on behalf when he was uh, charged with the Medicare fraud but he only did it because he was a friend not because he was a politician but the point was 38 percent of the Democrats voting in New Jersey voted against an incumbent senator for a woman that uh, uh, who didn't spend a dime that's absolutely amazing. Uh, that, <laughs> that that is. She never. She didn't file. Didn't uh, file. Didn't anything. Uh, when they asked her why, she said, "I didn't spend any money." <laughs> That's so, absolutely I mean, amazing, Don. <laughs> God, Don Mazzella with us today, and uh, so so. How does that work? She just she just gets on the ballot, or. She got yeah in New Jersey only a thousand. I think it's a thousand signatures. Don't quote me. It's relatively easy to get on the ballot in New Jersey. Um, 
it's it's hard because you uh, the the party machine then come comes into play. But the point is the, uh, the party stayed home. But uh, the the other interesting thing, the Republican uh, primary outdrew the Democratic primary in terms of voters. But uh, and they still made Menendez the favorite in the two horse race. But but who knows what's going to happen? Uh, who would have thought three years ago that Donald Trump would be president of the United States? I mean, you could have gotten thousand to one odds. It the is, world is changing. The world is uh, definitely changing. Uh, what 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 do you make, Don, of some of these? And and I see these stories all the time of these. Corporate Democrats and these corporate liberal, liberals who are trying to keep the progressives out of the out of the race, they 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 back folks like Dianne Feinstein and others. Um, is there a split in the Democratic Party, much like there might be a split in the Republican Party, or what? What, what do you make of all this? Because it seems like the progressives really want to get the money out of politics and the democrats are like no 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 we got to keep our money because we got to get our our consultants and our high profile friends their check <laughs> well that's well jiggy you made a, you made a, mis, uh, a misstatement okay. progressives don't want want the money out of the race they just want it in their pockets rather than your pocket oh <laughs> um, uh, but uh, uh, if you look at the progressive agenda, it is for the government to finance the uh, um, uh, the, the races because the, uh, then they can ap- appeal to the lower masses. What's what's happened? Uh, if you look at American history, um, races uh, have always been won, uh, have for the most part been been won by by the party that spends its money most judiciously. Not the most money, but the most judiciously. You can go back to Mark um, Mark Hanna and Ted Ro- Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, uh, Mark, ha- uh, Mark Hanna, the uh, Ohio politician, spent his money getting Roosevelt on the ballot so he could get, get Roosevelt out of the... Uh, uh, governorship and out of his uh, uh, thorn. People have spent money uh, to uh, uh, get people to the polls, etc. But the, those that have spent the money smartly um, in New Jersey, we had a governor who, who spent uh, $20 million uh, and he still lost the late race to Christie because he, uh, he spent it with the politicians rather than uh, getting it to the uh, people who get out the vote. Um, the progressives uh, want, want government to pay the cost of, the, uh, um, uh, of, of electioneering, not uh, individuals. They think by doing that, they will eliminate influence. While you, you and I both know, uh, they, the progressives created PACs. They were the ones that wanted PACs. They got them. Now these PACs are, are millions of dollars uh, spending it for various purposes, and all we did was just change how the money uh, was siphoned into into the uh, was uh, siphoned into the election, rather than getting it out of the out of the election, which was the progressives' hope. We've got uh, Don Mazzella with us today as we wrap up the program here, Don. Uh, 
tell us about your books and where we can uh, get your books and and everything else. Well, uh, you know, to, uh, uh, I want to talk about recalculating the book, which uh, which just went into its fourth edition. Uh, um, you know, the, we finally got a, a royalty check after, you know, they give you an advance and then they say, well, well, sometime in the future we'll give you a, another check. And we, we finally turned a profit on it. And people are really, um, uh, doubling down on the book because it's turned out to be, uh, uh, uh something that uh, people have really enjoyed, enjoyed and learned from. Uh, and you know we have the re- thanks to you we have the program recalculating dot radio dot biz uh, which is the website and the radio program which is on twenty four seven like you are. Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, uh, my book, uh, an American Family Sampler, it just can continue rolling along, and uh, uh, um, I don't. You know, I always have trouble. I'm sorry. Uh, I guess I'm. Uh, Unlike your, your your other guests, I always have trouble talking about me. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you, you know, I was on another program recently, and uh, so uh, Eleanor Roosevelt used to have a wonderful way of judging people by how long it took them to say the pronoun I. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> you know, uh, you know that, that was uh, I, I covered the well, I I covered I was a copy boy at the UN for Pauline Frederick and I met Adley Stevenson who personally was a, a true truly an intellectual and a smart man who twice ran for president of the United States and he uh, as you may know he was a close friend of Eleanor Roosevelt and he he taught me so much about humility and uh, how to um, you know, you you don't have to brag about yourself for people to to appreciate you, and, uh, and that, it's unfortunately, unfortunately, something I've I've uh, tried to do my entire life. Uh, you know, I'm a, if anything a Republican, uh, but uh, uh, Adley Stevenson taught me an awful lot about how how to conduct oneself. He ran twice and lost twice, and unlike uh, Hillary Clinton. He didn't sit there and say, I, I should have done this, I should have done that. He sat there, he went about, became uh, a UN ambassador, uh, and did his job. And didn't say, look at me, I am, uh, I ran for president. He said, look at me, I'm a man who's trying to do something for this country. And, uh, you know, the, uh, that to me is more important than anything else. Well, well, Don, I appreciate you making time for us today. We will definitely talk to you next week. And as always, thank you, my friend. Thank you for having me. Definitely. Well, have yourself a wonderful weekend. Thank you, Don. There goes Don Maz- How would you love to feel great, get healthy, and look amazing? Visit Mid- With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.